Good morning, everyone. Welcome. One of the great parts about being a part of this church is this time right now. Uh, just everyone connecting with each other. <coughs> so, welcome. Uh, we have in store for us a great passage this morning that we're going to get a chance to look at. If you will turn in your Bibles to chapter 12. One second. <coughs> There's a tickle. Um, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So open up your phone, your Bible, uh, turn to that passage. While you are turning there, um, as we look at this passage today, this is building on what Dan preached on a couple of weeks ago, the whole Hall of Faith chapter. Then it culminates in what we sort of learned last week, that Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and all those who came before, including Jesus, were loved by God, they were honored by God, and they all suffered hardships in this world. And, you know, it was really interesting. I was reading back in chapter 11, those hardships. I must have snoozed through part of Dan's sermon because I didn't remember these two verses. So I am, oh, well, thank you very much. It's not Starbucks. It's just water. Um, so the verses are actually up on the screen, but verses 36 and 37, and it says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword, and they went about in skins of sheep, goats, uh, in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Literally, I totally missed the whole song in two. I mean, if you think about it, those were some really challenging hardships that these people went through. So we are given the heroes of our faith. And then last week, we looked at how we could finish strong like those heroes. And now this week, the writer's going to tell us how we can be prepared to finish strong ourselves and be like those people in the hall of faith. So this is a passage to Christians, and so he's writing to a church, the Church of Hebrews. So if you will, in honor of God's word, stand with me as we read Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such as hostilities against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons, and for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and let, and, but, latter, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make the, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be part of, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may be defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, so who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much here, so much to really understand that you are trying to teach us. So, Father, I'm asking for a few things this morning. First of all, give us all eyes. Open our eyes so that we can see what you're trying to teach us. Open our ears so that we can hear what you are trying to tell us. And, Lord, use me in whatever way you need to, to get across what you are trying to share with King's Cross Church today. Father, we are here to rejoice in your name. We love you. We're looking forward to seeing how you are going to discipline us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When I was growing up, I was a Boy Scout. Um, ooh, there was a who in the house. Um, wasn't sure if that was going to date me, like I didn't know how many of you young folks um, ever went to scouting. That's Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. Um, but woo woo. <laughs> so when growing up, uh, the scouting motto was be prepared. Upon hearing the scouting motto, someone asked the scouting founder, Robert Baden Powell, the inevitable follow up question prepared for what? And he said, why for any old thing? So in 1907, Baden-Powell, an English soldier, devised the scout motto, Be Prepared. And in Scouting for Boys, it's a magazine, Baden-Powell wrote that to be prepared means you are always in the state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Now, more than a century passed, preparedness is still the cornerstone for scouting. But just like scouting prepares people for life, Hebrews 12 has been written to prepare Christians for the life that they are to live. So today, I titled my sermon, Be Prepared. Original, huh? Stole that one from the scouts. Um, so there's three things around being prepared that come to mind. One is we need to be informed about what it is that we need to be prepared for. Um, 
then we need to follow a plan, and then no plan is very good unless you take action. And so it's no coincidence that our passage today sort of follows these steps, and that's how we're going to sort of look at this passage as we study it this morning. So first of all, to be informed. So in verses 3 and 4 here in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews now informs the readers and us today of the terrible hardships at the hands of his enemies that Jesus experienced. So it says right there in verse 3, Consider him who endured, that's Jesus, from the sinners such hostility against himself. So even though Jesus is God incarnate and he still is subject to hostility, trickery, and even death. As this passage continues, the writer will point out that the existence of trials in this life is not an evidence that God despises us. Jesus lived the only perfect sinless life and still he, he experienced pain and suffering. So when we are facing challenges in our life, we should see it as one that is not deserving of a better life. That's not how we should look at it. We should not see it as we are displeasing God. Verse 4 points out when, where it reads, we have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, this is a really interesting phrase. But it's meant to connect two ideas, one from the previous verse and then one from the verse that's coming up. And so in the previous verse, we see that Jesus, we studied this last week, Jesus was the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Christ shed his blood and for our sins. And here in verse 4, it's telling us that we've not suffered to that point. We've not gotten to the point that we're actually suffering and shedding our blood. And for many of us, Sean, I just saw you, man. I thought you were going to be gone. <laughs> it's a joy. Yes, Samantha, you too. <laughs> or Savannah, you too. So, um, sorry, got distracted just for a second. Um, I was thinking I wasn't going to see him for a very long time, so seeing him again this week was amazing. Um, but um, we'll get back here to the shedding of blood. <laughs> That's quite a jump. Um, so we see that from Christ from before, who shed his blood by dying on the cross, and now what we're saying is, the, the writer's saying is, we haven't gotten to the point to where we've had to shed our blood. I mean, we've had some hardships. But we've not had to shed our blood. And then it goes on to the next verse where it says that, Have you forgotten the exhortation, my son? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when we're reproved by him. So the discipline is a time and training of something that I don't know. I don't necessarily look forward to participating in. Um, but something that is needed in an effort to prepare me for my Christian life and prepare you for the life that we are to live. We are being informed that if we are not yet going through a testing of our faith, then we will be soon. There is a great verse in 1 Peter 4.12 that says, Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
I, I just love the realism of this verse. It's like, it's, it's going to happen. He's informing us. We are going to be tested. We're going to be disciplined. So don't let it be a surprise. Don't go, what? What's going on? What's happening to me? And so Peter is letting us know that these testings are happening and we need to know that they're coming. You are now being informed. But what do we do when tested? When we're hurting, when we're suffering right now. So the writer of Hebrews now looks at verses, we'll look at verses 5 through 11. He says, follow the plan. So let's look at the plan that he is laying out for us here. So first, as we look at verses 5 through 7, let's read it one more time. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens the one he, to whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure God. That you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So this part of the plan is really not a new part of the plan. He's actually quoting Proverbs here. So... I'm going to put Proverbs actually up on the screen. It's just slightly different. And here in Proverbs, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father to the son in whom he delights. So in looking at this verse, and if you could leave it up there just for a little bit. First of all, it says, my son. So, so I like how... First of all, he's calling, well, me son, and for you ladies, he's calling you daughters. He's calling us his children. I don't know about you, but I don't know who wouldn't like to be God's child. I mean, his love, his forgiveness, his hope, his peace, his joy, all those things that he provides for us. So for me, I, I relish in the fact that I'm his child. And so, first of all, he calls us his child. Then he goes on to say, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So it's, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to share what I'm thinking and you guys can disapprove if you'd like to. But this is sort of a childish behavior. See, I think it's childish when we go, God, bless me. Take care of me. Watch over me. Don't discipline me. Don't discipline me. Don't test me. Don't try me. Father, I don't want that. I, I feel like that's a very childish attitude. And I think what it does for us as Christians is it keeps us in a childlike faith. It keeps us from actually growing and maturing to a point to where we can actually stand on our own two feet. So the Lord is going to discipline his, the ones he loves. Why? Because he wants them to grow to the point that they can stand against any difficulties of this life. I think that that is a very loving gesture because regardless of if you're a Christian or not, this world has hardships that anyone's going to have to endure. And if we don't have a loving father who then provides 
of faith that's going to grow and mature within us to help us to be able to stand against that, then I feel ill-prepared and I feel like he really doesn't care about me. So a really great example of this idea of God disciplining us with his love is in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. And, and Paul shares this, and this is, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's very, he, Paul's just being very real. He's being, being very raw here. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despired, that we despired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely on, not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. So this, this example points out a number of things. Number one, this is the raw part of Paul. He, he's saying we, all those people that were with him, they were suffering to a point that they even thought death would be a better alternative. I wonder if you've ever been to the point where you were so overwhelmed and exhausted by the circumstances and suffering that you even said, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. The weight of this pain and suffering is almost more than I can bear. That's where Paul was. He was at a point where he just couldn't take it anymore. But then there's these words. It's a, a purpose conjunction. And that is, but that. So here in verse 9, it says, but that. These are tying two dichotomies together. The feeling of being sentenced to death. For what reason? To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised us from the dead. So I was to the point <laughs> of wanting to give up and die to I endured so that I could see what God wanted to teach me, which was he wanted me to realize not to stand on my own strength, but to stand in his strength. That is a whole passage I would like to preach a sermon on Sunday, Oban. Uh, but right now I don't have time to do that. Otherwise, I won't get through Hebrews at all. But uh, I think what's really interesting is that God has a sense of humor here in putting this verse in here. So they, were, they felt like they were sentenced to death. So they learned that not to rely on themselves, but on the God that what? Raises them from the dead. Okay. So they felt like they were sentenced to death, and yet they realized that they got to rely on God who actually raises the dead. So, man, if I die, he can bring me back. And uh, so that was, I thought, just a, a little interesting sense of humor. But as we point, the point being here in verses 5 through 7 is that the Christian should not receive the testing of their faith or the correction from the Lord as bitterness or despair, with bitterness or despair, as this will make you weary to the point of where you might despair of life itself. On the contrary, we should see God's discipline, his training as a sign that he is engaged with our life. That 
He has a plan and a purpose for us to fulfill. This is not an easy part of God's plan to change our mind around the pain and the suffering that we're, we feel like we're going through and we don't want to go through to God has a purpose and a plan and he is bringing us to that by what he's taking us through. So some of the times when we get to the point that we are going through a correction or a training phase of our life, some of us sort of get the victim mentality uh, or we might even go to a really dark place. We say things like, God, why is this happening to me? I'd like for us to start figuring out how we can change our thought process. So instead of saying, God, why is this happening to me? What if we said, God, I don't need to understand why because I know you know why. So I'm just going to trust you. The why no longer matters. Or what if instead of saying, God, what did I do to deserve, to deserve this? Instead, we say, God, I know that you love me and you want the best for me. So I'm going to trust you. Or if we get to a dark place and we go, I can't handle this. I think I just want to die. Instead, if we switch that in our head and we go, I do not know how to handle this. But God, until you tell me differently, I'm going to just push myself to endure. I'm going to stay the course until you tell me to do something differently. So what happens then if God doesn't discipline us? Now this gets a little challenging here as we look at verses 8 and 9. What happens when God doesn't challenge us? So let's read this so that we see it in Scripture, and then we'll just talk about it a little bit. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Okay, <laughs> so listen to me. Listen carefully because suffering natural consequences for rejecting God's free gift of salvation is not the same as being disciplined by God. So the context here is it's complex and it's easy to misunderstand. Many people have misinterpreted this verse to mean that for those of you who have not suffered some minimum level of persecution, then you're not actually saved. That is not what the writer is sharing here in this passage. The writer is indicating that, especially earlier in Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 27, if you did not, were not here for that passage, get online and, and re-listen to that, because that created a lot of conversation, at least within our community group. And so here in Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, the writer indicated that those who know God's will, but choose to walk away, are subject to a dire punishment. This idea that we're looking at today, the discipline, is suffered by those whom God is treating as his sons and daughters. So it is not in the same punishment of those who reject God. In, prior pa in the prior passage, disobedience was linked to the loss of inheritance. You lost your inheritance. 
But here, God takes on this fatherly stance toward us that we are heirs of the kingdom of God. So there is a huge difference here. So then what does it mean when the writer says, illegitimate children and not sons? He simply is saying, that's why we're being disciplined, because we are the children. We're not illegitimate. We are sons. See, that's part of God's plan is to remind you that you guys are special. You that love him, serve him, have asked him into your heart, you are special to him. And he loves you so much that he is not going to leave you in the state that you are in today. Therefore, he's going to discipline you. So let's look at this discipline a little bit closer because uh, that could be a little scary. Um, I don't know what kind of earthly father you guys had. So, you know, this could have all kinds of emotions and feelings. But this is different because we're talking about a loving father one that really cares about you, one that wants to see the best for you. So, <clears throat> as we look at verse, I'm sorry. So, remember, as the first step as we plan to think of, the first step in, our, in, this, in this plan that God has for us is we're to think of um, him differently, that he's loving, he's caring, and that he took the past hurts and the pain and the joy of being able to, st and, and helping us to be able to stand firm. Now, this second step is a plan of preparation, of knowing that the testing of our faith, that the discipline and the loving father is for those who believe. Now, you may feel lost, but you are not lost. See, when, when we get to a point to where we are going through a discipline and a struggle, it, it doesn't feel right. So we think maybe there's something wrong with me. I brought this on. You may feel lost, but you are not lost. See, Christ died once and for all. Paul in Romans tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the sins have been, your sins have been paid for, and you are a child of of the God. So as we look at the different steps that God has in this plan that we are looking at, the last thing that he wants us to look at in this plan is in verse 10 and 11. He's talking about that the testing of our faith is for a period of time. It's for a season. So in verse 10, it's talking about earthly fathers, and it says, how do they discipline us for a short time. It disciplines us for a short time. And then in verse 11, it says that the discipline is for a moment. And so the testing that and the correction never to me felt short, even from my earthly father. It seemed way too long. And, and every season of discipline that I've ever experienced, I've always wanted it to conclude sooner rather than later. Therefore, it never had a feeling of short or a moment. It felt like an eternity. And so the passage here, when it's talking about a short time and a moment, 
It's talking about sort of God's time. He's looking at a lifespan. And so, yes, pain may last for months. It may last for a year. And sometimes it may last for the rest of our life. That is not pleasant to hear. But it is just a season. In the span of our lifetime, a month or a year does seem short. Especially if you live for a lot of years, then it seems like a short time. And then, even if we look at eternity and being with God, then our training and our correction can seem like a moment. So, this is again a way of changing how we view the discipline in which we are experiencing. It's no longer forever. It is for a season, for a period of time. I like how Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he puts it this way. But resurrection is not just consolation. It's not just a consolation. It is a restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. So what, what this is saying is there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, that tunnel, we may be on the other side of heaven, but there is a light at the end of that tunnel. And, and one of the things that we can really be encouraged by is it is just for a season and then we mature and we grow and we move on. Now, for those of us that really resist God working in our life, those seasons can be multiple times that God takes us through them so that we will actually learn. And so that doesn't seem very peaceful at all. So the, the thing that we are being asked to do is to accept the discipline that's coming to us and that we are to work through it and endure it and come out on the other side with what God is wanting to teach us. So the plan is that God has put into place here is first of all, He's asking us to reframe the messages in our mind and to see that he is a loving God with a deep desire to see us grow and be able to stand the test of time like those in the hall of faith. To remember that we are his children, we're his heirs, and therefore we do not need to question if we are experience, experiencing this testing and this trial. Is it love? Because it does come from love and for our betterment. The plan of suffering that comes from God is for a season, for a period of time. And God is there, and he will see us through to the end. So that's the plan that he talks about in 5 through 11. And now what's really interesting is he says, it's time to take action. So here, as we look through 12 through 17, there's about six things that God asks us to take action on. And so we're going to look at them one at a time. First of all, in verse 12, it says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees 
So these are boxing terms. I don't know if you know that. For Do we have any boxers in the house? No one boxes? Okay. All right. Training day. Here we go. So <laughs> your drooping hands. If you ever listen to a coach talking to a boxer, he's like, get your hands up. Get your hands up. Because after a while, you get tired and your hands start to droop down. And the other thing that's a problem is the reason we drop our hands, boxers drop their hands, is because they want to see what's coming on. You know, when's the punch going to come? Where's he moving? What's he doing? And so a coach will tell you to keep your hands up and look at the chest, and you'll be able to see which way he's turning just by looking at the chest. So keep your hands up. And then it says, strengthen your weak knees. You know, you got to dance. You know, boxers are good dancers. They're moving around that little ring, and, and they're, they're dodging, and they're, they're, they're going back and forth, all for one reason, to keep the opponent from striking a blow. You see, God doesn't want any KOs on his team. No. He, he wants us all standing on our feet at the end of the day. So he says, hands up. And get your knees strong so that you can endure all 18 rounds if necessary. So as I was reading this, I got to thinking, what is a boxer protecting? His brain. <laughs> He's protecting his face. If he gets too many blows, they could, his eyes could swell up and he won't be able to see his opponent at all. And if he gets a knockout, he could get a concussion. Some boxers have even died by having a blow to the head. So God's saying, protect your mind. How do we do that as Christians? Keep your hands up. You know, with scripture, protect your mind. You know, when you're hurting and when you see fists flying and, and you want to be able to see what's coming your direction, if you drop your hands, you may not be able to react fast enough to stop a blow. So Act now. Meditate on God's word now. Get it in your mind now. So when you're in the ring, when you are being tested, you will be prepared. So that's the first action step that we've been asked to take. Protect your noggin. So verse 13, it says, stick to the path that God has laid out. Do not forsake, this is how I interpret it, do not forsake the fellowship of believers. So I'm encouraging you to get in community group. Say, say get, get in, serve on a ministry that that way with you are lame, and that's what it talks about here in verse 13. It says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. So you stay on a path and nothing better to keep you on a path than a brother or a sister in Christ. And they can pray with you and pray through you. And the best way to do that is get into community group. Serve on a team. Find a brother. Find a sister. Find someone that will walk with you so that you can stay on the path. When you get off a path, a couple of things can happen. Number one, you can get lost. And that would be sad, but it happens to a lot of Christians. They, they get off the path and they just totally get lost. Another thing that can happen is it says here, you know, unless your bone gets out of joint, you know, you break something. 
So if you get off the path and you're walking in rough terrain, you could have a fall, you could get hurt, and God doesn't want to correct us and train us not to break us. He's doing it to make us stronger. And that's what brothers and sisters will do for us. They, they help us limp along when we're lame until we can be healed. Then in verse 14, it's talking about the next action step that we need to take. It says, when we are suffering pain, I don't know about you, but it's difficult to think of others. And look what it says here. It says in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what it, when we are going through the struggles, sometimes we're only thinking about what it is that I need in order to get through the struggle. I'm, I'm not thinking about a brother or a sister or anyone else, but he's calling us to think about the relationships in our life. First of all, with others and then with God. So with others, we're to live peaceably. And then with God, we are to live holy. I like what C.S. Lewis says about holiness. He says, holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. According as we find the mind described in Scripture, it is the habit of agreeing in God's with God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. If we, and if we are incapable of living peaceably with others and being of one mind with God, then here in verse 14 it says, our witness can be ruined. Wow. See, no one will see the Lord you see, when we are not able to live peaceably and love one another, then we are no longer an example of what God wants to show the rest of the world. But if we do live peaceably, and if we do walk holy with God, then we become the Bible that others can read and are able to see God's love through how we live our life. So all these action steps that we are being asked to look at this morning culminates here in verses 15 and 17, where we read, see that it is, see that, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So here, I thought it was really interesting here in verse 15, it talks about a root of bitterness springing up. If you guys will look back up to um, verse 11, because it says here in verse 11 that for a moment of discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. So there's two things being grown here. One is the fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which, which is a good thing, right? That's what we want in our life, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, versus here in verse 15, where it talks about the root of bitterness springing up and causing trouble. So this root of bitterness springs up when we cannot live peaceably with others, when we cannot live holy unto the Lord. That's when that bitterness starts to creep in. And I think we can all sort of agree that we've seen people that bitterness gets in their life and it gets such a stronghold that they just can't let it go. And what happens is it causes pain, not only for themselves, but for others around them. And yet God is asking us to reflect back on verse 7 about yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Letting that spring forth in our life. That peaceful fruit, which is what he's asking us to do with our brothers and sisters, is to live in harmony and peace with one another. So then we get into a challenging verse here. So it says in verse 16 that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So I really think there needs to be more exhortation in the church around sexuality. I mean, I think if I would not be surprised that a number of people here today struggle in some way with sexuality. And God is asking us to live a different life, to have a different perspective of sexuality than the rest of the world, to live a holy, in a holy relationship with God, to live in a disciplined relationship with another. So yes, sex is allowed. It's actually been created by God, and he put it together in a marriage to keep the marriage strong, to keep two people supporting and loving one another. But if you go outside of that, that's what he's talking about here, is the sexual immoral actions. And so God is asking us to think differently than the world thinks about sex, to take on a moral viewpoint of sex, make it something that is good, make it something that is righteous, make it something that is holy in a relationship. But then he compares it to Esau. <laughs> so it was a stretch for me studying this. I was like, oh, I didn't remember Esau, you know, having sex out of marriage. I, where did I miss this passage? But that's not what the writer's saying. He's saying that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He, he sold his soul for instant gratification. And that's what the writer is saying to you guys. Guard yourself. Get your hands up. Get your knees moving. Stay the course. Live peaceably and holy with others. Why? So you don't sell your soul for instant gratification. So you don't give something up that when you want it and you go, okay, God, I'm in heaven. <laughs> 
let me in, and you go, it's too late to repent. I didn't, I, I'm not able to get back. I'm not able to surrender my life again to the Lord because it says here, Esau got to the point where he wanted it. And even though he cried to his father, please bless me anyway, it was too late. And so the warning is to us, is this whole passage is be prepared lest you end up like Esau. And you're going, Wayne, why didn't you just lead with that? We could have been done. <laughs> and so it's God saying, here is time now for you to understand how to be prepared to live your Christian life. First of all, don't be surprised when hardships and trials come your way, okay? Expect them. And then he says, as believers, I've got your back. I'm a loving father. I'm going to let you go through these difficulties, but here's what I want you to know is that you're going to go through it so that you can grow. Just like Paul in that passage, he grew to the point of not leaning on himself or not expecting what he could do in his own strength, but realizing that it's what God can do through him. So God wants to work a perfect work in you. He wants you to get through the end and see what it's like to be in the hall of faith. That's what, he's, that's what he's growing us to be. See, the hall of faith isn't just said and done. It, it, that chapter 11, that has a group of people in it. But there's a whole new group of people right here in this room that God wants to make heroes in the faith for other people in this room. We need to be able to look at each other and go, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to have faith like them. The only way to do that is to go through the discipline with God and to come out on the other side stronger. So he says, take action. He says, take action. Now is the time. Get your hands up. Strengthen your knees. Stay the course. Live peaceably and holy unto the Lord. So as the worship team comes up and as we get ready to close out, the one thing that I really want to make sure that today we understand that we are being prepared to face tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He informs us that we, that he is willing to train, correct us, and love us, and he has a plan for us, for us to follow, we now need to be ready to act. We do that by protecting our mind with his word, staying the course, which has been laid out by us, by having other people be accountable and working with us, living peaceably with others, and in a holy relationship with God. And do not let the root of bitterness grow. But remember the grace of God that is going to see us through. And then he closes it all out with, let's live a moral life. And we can only do that with a very strong faith. And we only get that by going through the testing.
Let's pray. Father, this morning, you have so much to, to share with us. You have so much that you want us, want us to understand and to put into practice because you love us. <laughs> you love us so much that you go, I'm going to allow you to grow. Yeah, we may not like it at the time. And there may be some people here this morning that are really struggling right now. And they're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here like that, that they will get up and that they will go back to the back and have the prayer ministry pray with them. And Lord, if there's anyone here that goes, you know what? I hear all this about a moral life. I hear all this, but I, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to obey and have to go through these trials. I don't want that. My prayer for those people here today is that they will be willing to pray a very powerful prayer right now. God, I am not willing but if you're willing to make me willing, then change my heart. Father, today we surrender the pain and the suffering so that we can get through to the very end. And I just want to say I love you for being so kind. In Jesus' name we pray.